This is the murderer you know. <laughs> Arnold. Arnold? Hey, Arnold. I don't know. I was just thinking about saying, hey, mom. And for some reason, <laughs> I started thinking, hey, Arnold. Remember that show? Very, very vaguely. <laughs> very, very vaguely. Hmm. Okay. Well, what's new? What's new? Well, well let me think about that. It's very hot here. Mm-hmm. I rehomed my ducks because everybody said they will be eaten by predators and ripped into a thousand pieces. So I took them to a farm where I guess they'll live a long and happy life. But, you know, I was talking to somebody and I said, would you rather live a very short sort of exciting life swimming on a creek and flying around and dodging predators? Or would you rather live a long life having a nice place to sleep and other ducks and food, but no adventure? And if you were, what human, did they say? Well, one person said they'd rather take the safe life and live a long time. <laughs> so I don't know. Okay. I don't know. I think if that was presented to each of us, be interesting the choice we would make. It would be very interesting. Anyway. Quite the philosophical conundrum. But I'll be able to visit them. Well, you know what? If you pull enough ducks and the ducks all say they would rather live the life of adventure, then go tell these people you want your ducks back. Okay. okay. I will. I will. Not too late. <laughs> I don't have, I don't know any other ducks that I can mm, pull. Yeah, well, so. that's a, that's a weakness in the plan for sure. <laughs> well, we shall see. I'll give it some more thought. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. Good well, idea. what? What is the murder du jour? What is hmm. on the menu? Be our guest, be our guest, be our guest. Well, our yes. speaking of on the menu, our <laughs> parallel case last year was, let me see if I can get the number right. Great, 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 oh my great, God. great, great grandma. Yeah, wasn't it like 14th great or something? No, it was eight. Oh, just only eight. Only, only eight. eight. Episode, yeah. And also episode eight. Ah, wow. And that's significant. That means something. I think so. I mean, I didn't do that on purpose. So it just seems like fate. I think we need to talk to a, I was going to say a bad triloquist, but I don't think that's who I mean. <laughs> what? I don't think so either. What, what is it? A medium. A medium. To Teresa do. Caputo. Yes. <laughs> Is that her name? didn't even know that her show was going to be canceled due to COVID. Oh, my God. <laughs> Twice. <laughs> Everyone should know that my dad loves Teresa Caputo. So I got him tickets, him and my mom, to go and see her. Literally, I convinced my entire family that we should gift experiences for Christmas instead of <laughs> things. And then, oh, guess wait. what? Explain what, to what them this? this was Christmas 2019. I'm getting nineteen. And then the whole world shut down, including <laughs> Teresa Caputo, who kept rescheduling until like probably this year. 
Did she ever actually show up? I think so. I mean, I don't oh, know, okay. but okay. I think so. All right. Well, we never saw her. Also, you'd think somebody who was in constant contact with the, what is it called? The other world, the netherworld, the, that some of those ghosts might have said, honey, your husband's going to dump you. She kind of got blindsided by that too. How do you know she was blindsided? She acted blindsided. And Maybe how would she a wasn't. ghost know that someone's <laughs> husband was going to dump them? I don't know. They followed I him around. I think you're getting, I don't know what this skill is called, future telling confused with communicating with the dead. Okay. okay. I think they're different. I don't know, but they seem different to me. It could be. It could be. Okay. So you found a somewhat parallel... I didn't find any other murderers in our family background. Maybe That's I need to look some more. You should have looked. Yeah, I should have. Well, yes. So as a reminder, and we're not going to go too deep into it. If this little summary that I provide sounds interesting to you, go back and check out episode eight if you haven't listened to it yet. It was a tale from 1670s Canada where a young girl and her parents killed, well, oh. something happened there were attempted poisonings blaming sturgeon and or axe handles that just accidentally fell over escaping into the forest there was a lot going on I thought it was kind of a not to minimize the seriousness of violent crimes but I thought it was a nice little break well it was kind of like a little I don't know It was kind of like a Keystone's Cop episode because it was like one of these joke murder shows where they keep trying to kill somebody and, you know, the poison doesn't (laughs) work and the axe in the head doesn't work and the shooting them 12 times doesn't work. But the most important thing about all of this is we are related to the first woman executed in the new world for murder. That is our eighth great great grandmother maybe my just seventh yeah I guess I think so I wanted to try to find an old school Virginia case something that was kind of I don't know vintage lawyer gave me some crap for calling the last one fun like I said but (laughs) it was so long ago it almost feels like a folk tale or a legend or something like that definitely an an old-timey story that parents would tell their sons so they become upstanding citizens instead of pieces of shit I had a really hard time finding an old school Virginia case I was thinking about John Brown maybe some of you have heard mom was of the opinion that too many people knew about John Brown but I think that there's a (laughs) a certain age of people maybe that know about John Brown I was thinking about Virginia Christian Do you know who that is, mom? I don't. It's a very sad story of a 17-year-old servant from Hampton. So that's a a vintage one. We I think maybe we'll still cover her story one day. Well I would think there'd be lots of them. But what did you find? I found a really interesting story. Only part of it occurred in Virginia, but it's the story of three sisters at the turn of the 20th century. Virginia Wardlaw, Caroline Wardlaw, and Mary Wardlaw Sneed. Have you heard Hmm. of any of these women? No. Okay. Well, let's get into their story. I'm buckled. (laughs) A little bit about the Wardlaws. Wardlaw? Wardlaw? Is that one? The Wardlaws. Is that a hyphenated name or one word? It's one word. 
They were a very prestigious family in early America since the time of the Revolutionary War. They had been ministers, lawyers, doctors, and judges. In the mid-1800s, a group of siblings in this family were born. And that is sort of the group that our story is going to center around. The oldest sibling, Caroline Wardlaw, born in 1845, had five younger siblings. The siblings were Mary, born in 1849, Virginia, born in 1852, John Banks Wardlaw, born in 1854, Albert Goodall Goodall Wardlaw, born in 1856, and Bessie Gertrude Wardlaw, born in 1867. Wow, that's Just a lot of like, kids. Mm-hmm. We're going to try to keep it to the really key players. Okay. Or we could probably talk about these people for the rest of our second year, at least. So <laughs> if you want to okay. know more about all of the rest of these people, you're going to have to Google it. Google it. What did we do before Google? No one else seems to remember this but me. But briefly, there was a phone number you could text and ask it a question. Oh, I remember that. Oh, we yeah, would do that just... all the time. Well, wasn't it called Jeeves Ask a Question or something? Ask Jeeves was a website. Okay. I'm not sure what the phone number, maybe the phone number was a spinoff of Ask Jeeves. It was a very brief moment in time, but I really enjoyed it. That's what we used to do on our phones, guys. Imagine <laughs> it. And we were using QRT9 word or whatever it was called. <laughs> So you had to ask your question by, like, if you needed a Y, you had to press the nine three times. I don't even remember anymore. It was so long ago. Oh, how we suffered. Ugh. Of course, when I was younger, you just went to the library and pulled out the Encyclopedia Britannica. Mm. Yeah. A book? A, yeah, a book. Weird. A book that had so much information. It was in 26 volumes or more. Huge. Huge. I remember seeing those when yeah, I Yeah, you kid. know, back in the day, these encyclopedia salespeople would come door to door and convince parents that they were going to raise the next, I don't know, brain Ask surgeon. Jeeves. <laughs> if they bought these encyclopedias for their house. Yeah, a lot of people had encyclopedias in their house. We didn't. I, I wonder the what the proportion, well, no one in your sibling group became a brain surgeon. <laughs> So look what your parents did to you. That is true. None of us were really majorly successful at anything. So yeah. Oh <laughs> what is wrong with you? No doctors, no lawyers. No. There are other metrics by which to measure success. That is true. That is true. We're all so happy. Get some self-esteem. <laughs> we're all happy. These people... Oh. The ward laws were... These people were a mess. They <laughs> obviously did not grow up with encyclopedias. Now, in the beginning, when our story is going to start, at least, things seem pretty normal. By 1875, Mary, now she was the second oldest of the sisters, remember, she was married to a man 20 years her senior with at least two children, little boys, who were only a year apart in age. 
In fact, one of her sons, Fletcher, who was named after his father, was born that very year, 1875. And the family settled in Tennessee. Hmm. In 1876, the sister's maternal aunt purchased a school where she was a teacher at a public auction in Christiansburg, Virginia. And by 1880, this same aunt, who was named Oceana. Aunt Oceana. Yes. She was living at the school in 1880 with her niece, Virginia, the third oldest sister. Who was not married, I'm assuming. She actually never married. She was the only of the siblings who never married. But she was a teacher and, I don't know, famous isn't the right word, but she was an esteemed teacher. She was well thought of. She was well educated. She was an upstanding member of the community. And she was a teacher at this school. And she lived there with her aunt and her brothers, John and Albert. Back in the day, school teachers weren't allowed to get married. Strangely enough, you'd think they would have encouraged them to get married. But even my mother, your grandmother, said that went on when she went to school. If they got married, they had to quit teaching and leave. Interesting. Rounding out the group who was living at the school in 1880 was John. He was the oldest brother, but the fourth sibling in line. He had been a journalist and had actually taken a job at the school as an English professor. And then finally was Albert, the second youngest and the youngest son, who was only 24 at the time, but later became a reverend and really wasn't involved with the school, which otherwise sort of seemed to be a family affair. Sounds like. I usually say at the beginning, I should have said, this is a little, it's a timeline. We're going through a timeline. Journey through the ages right now. The next notable event, also in 1880, the oldest Wardlaw sibling, probably considered a spinster, by the way, at 35. Am I right? Yes. Oh my God. I think past 25 you were it's time to die yeah your expiration date was way overdue (laughs) and that was caroline she married her husband oh he was considered quite the catch he was a army colonel named robert maxwell martin and he was 40 when he married his bride So she finally snapped up a real good catch. Well, you know, something that's interesting now that you mentioned, if you were a teacher, you couldn't get married. She had been a teacher. So maybe she wasn't initially planning on ever getting married. Maybe. But she actually lost her job because she suffered from a number of mental health issues and was known to be unstable. And so she couldn't teach. But this guy, had he been married before? I'm not sure. Not as far as I know. Interesting. I looked at the family tree and all of that jazz and I didn't see a previous wife for him. Well, they might not have listed previous wife, especially if they didn't have any children together. Mm -hmm. But be interesting why he waited till 40. I guess he was... He was busy. Busy in the war. Yes. Now, initially, this couple, the oldest sister and her husband... 
lived in the suburbs of Louisville, Kentucky, where Robert, who had made a fortune after the war in the tobacco industry, built an enormous mansion, which took up an entire city block between the house and the stables and the grounds. And it cost a whopping $38,000 in the late 1800s. Do you want to wager a guess how much money that is now? I'm surprised it costs that much, but $38,000, let us say $2 million. You're pretty close, I guess, in the ballpark. $1,136,680 in 2023 money. Wow. Sounds like a deal. It does. And the very next year in 1881, the couple's first child, a little boy named Hugh, was born. So now we have how many sisters married out of the top three? One of them never married. Yes. Was that the second one? We have Caroline married. She's the oldest sister and living in Kentucky. We have Mary married. She was the second oldest and living in Tennessee. And we have Virginia who never married and who is working and living at a school in Virginia with her aunt. These three sisters, which is why I called their names out at the beginning, (laughs) are the important The oldest, but also the important siblings for our story. I kind of guessed that. (laughs) Now, also in 1881, while, like I said, things did seem to be going pretty well, the family suffered a devastating loss when John, the oldest brother, who was only 27, and his wife Lizzie, only 23, both passed away at the school within a year of each other. What was the cause? I don't know. I guess back. Yeah, I guess back in those days, people were always randomly dying. There was a there was a lot going on. (laughs) After the loss of her brother, Virginia left the school and returned home to Tennessee briefly, where her sister Mary was living. She just wanted to be with her sister. They were close. In 1885, Caroline and her husband, who had likely relocated to New York by this time from Kentucky, had their second child, a little girl. They left their city block long mansion? Yes, they did. We'll get into why. Okay. They had their second child, a little girl, also named Oceana, like her aunt. And she went by Oshi, Osi. How do you think that's pronounced? Apparently, it was the common and accepted nickname for Oceana at the time. Well, since... Do you think it's Oceana or Oceana? Oceana. I'm thinking Oceana because of the naval base. (laughs) I'm thinking Oceana because ocean. Mm -hmm. Oceaniana. (laughs) Well, let's call her Oshi. Oshi, I like that. Okay, Oshi, Oshi. Okay. In 1896, the Wardlaw siblings' father passed away. He's not really a part of this story other than having been a part of the creation of all of these children. (laughs) And also, importantly, when he passed away, he left all of his property to his daughters, Virginia and Mary, and all of his money to his wife. Nothing to the sons. No, and nothing to, although I guess maybe the family said she was mentally unstable and made poor decisions, but nothing to his oldest daughter either. 
how many sons are left now? Because one had had died. Yeah, one. Hmm. Next, in 1899, Mary's two oldest sons, John and Fletcher, they were the ones who were just wee babies a couple minutes ago toward the beginning (laughs) of our story. They are now 25 and 24, and they moved to Linville, Tennessee, and opened a sawmill together. They also began courting two sisters who were the daughters of a prominent local lawyer and who they eventually married in a double wedding Isn't that cute? Sweet. So romantic. The sisters must be getting kind of old, like 60s and 50s. Yes. At this point. Correct. (laughs) (laughs) I'm waiting for the other thinking about what's going to (laughs) happen. Now, in 1900, Virginia returned to Virginia (laughs) to be near her youngest sister and her aunt. By this time, by the way, the youngest sister had also joined the family school and was the principal. The school, by the way, was called the Montgomery Female Academy. Ooh. I wonder if that exists in any way, shape, or form anymore. There's a middle school there now. So I guess it did. It was raised to the ground. Oh, dear. And a middle school was built on top. Okay. Which is supposedly haunted. Haunted? (laughs) and the mother lives somewhere in virginia or she's still alive not at this time i'm actually not sure where the mother was living during this time but the mother is about to get a little bit more involved than she had been because the aunt who owned the school was her older sister so by 1900 she was getting older Her health was declining, and so she actually deeded the school to her younger sister, the girl's mom, and to her niece, Virginia, who had been working at the school and teaching there for a long time. Now, timing was really good for the mother-daughter pair and for the school, because remember, Virginia and her sister Mary had received all of their father's property when he passed away. And the mom had received all of his money, so they had money to invest back into the school. They renamed it from the Montgomery Female Academy to the Montgomery Female College. They refurbished the dorms, they updated the curriculum, and Virginia actually returned to teaching. Now, soon after all of these changes were being made at the school, Mary arrived from Tennessee to be near her sister and her mom and to help with the school. Things were going well for the family members. For Martha, that was the mother, and for her daughters, Mary and Virginia, and for both of her grandsons who were newlyweds and who had just opened their own business. But in New York where Caroline had relocated with her husband and their two children, things were going considerably less well. The economy was apparently relatively unstable and unpredictable after the Civil War. Well, this is years after the Civil War. You're already up to 1901 or something. (laughs) But we need to talk about that million-dollar mansion. Ah, the million-dollar mansion. Because after building the million-dollar mansion, Caroline's husband, Robert, was broke. Broker than a joke. 
Uh, not a good money manager. No. And he actually gained and lost several fortunes during the early days of his marriage. And eventually his enormous mansion mysteriously caught fire and was burned. Uh-huh. Wonder if he had a lot of insurance on it. Wasn't mentioned which I don't know. I don't know why it wasn't mentioned. And (laughs) I think you'll see why. I wonder why as we continue. (laughs) Now, for a little while after this accident in his home, he actually lived in a smaller building elsewhere on his property before eventually relocating to New York City to try and recuperate some of his depleted financial gains. Hmm. So that's to how they ended up in New York. All of our storylines for the three sort of branches of the family that we're talking about, the New York, the Tennessee, and the Virginia groups, are really coming to a convergence at this point. But for the next couple of minutes, things are going to continue down shit street for Robert and Caroline. Now we backed up a little bit because remember, we had to go back to the house and how they ended up in New York. Also for the family around 1900, in 1888, the couple's oldest child, remember their son Hugh, who was seven at the time, fell down an enormous flight of stairs at the family home in New York. Within the days following the accident, the young boy suffered from what was called brain fever at the time, but was likely encephalitis or meningitis, which claimed his life less than a week after his fall. Oh, sad. So sad. And his death would really be the turning point for the family because it was different than many of the other accidents and deaths which had come before it in that the family collected $22,000 in life insurance, which is roughly $700,000 today after the little boy passed away. Who in 1900 has that kind of policy on their kids? Who indeed. <laughs> this reminds me of another tale we told about life insurance. You gonna find out, girl. Deaths. Yes, me too. Yeah, whenever there's a big life insurance policy, you always got to be suspicious. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And after seven-year-old Hugh unfortunately passed away, the family moved to a nicer home off of Fifth Avenue with part of the payout. Sadly, shortly after moving to their new home, Oshi's father, Caroline's husband, developed some health issues himself. And within months of arriving and settling into their new home in 1901, neighbors heard groans and a crash from the Martin Wardlaw home and rushed to see if they could help and to find out what was going on, only to find the 61-year-old former colonel had (laughs) suffered a paralytic stroke. And when police arrived, they found his stern-looking wife and her hysterical daughter sitting over his unconscious body. The police arrived, not a doctor or, I don't know, an ambulance? That's what the newspaper article (laughs) from 1901 said. You're going to have to take it up with them. (laughs) Gee, I guess the police back then were first responders. I don't know. (laughs) I mean, maybe. I don't think they had ambulances, ambuli. (laughs) ambuline i don't what's the plural i like that ambuli no ambuli were available i don't think they had those in 1901 
They really had ambulances in in the Civil War. They were just pulled by horses. Y'all come back next week. This bitch is going to give her dissertation (laughs) on ambuli, okay? Pulled by horses. (laughs) They probably had a lot of stuff still being pulled by horses in 1901, by the way. Let's talk about the important thing, which is that (laughs) Caroline allegedly cautioned her daughter not to speak to anyone about what Mm. happened, including the police. I just have a quick aside here. Who are you to decide what the important thing is (laughs) if I want to talk about horse-driven ambulance? And how old is Oshi at this point? Oshi at this point was 16. Oh, so she's not a little child. No. But she was cautioned, don't speak. Correct. And Oshi's father was taken to a sanitarium on 59th Street in New York called Dr. Miller's Sanitarium, where unfortunately he later passed away. Is a sanitarium at that time just a hospital? Because we tend kind of to sort like of a think convalescent center, to be okay. honest, is okay. my like you just kind of go there when you're dying <laughs> and nobody wants you anymore. So they just came in and like, oh, this dude is dying. We'll just haul him with the horse-drawn carriage over to the sanitarium. I mean, I think it was in some ways intended to be rehabilitative, but I don't know if it typically went that way okay so he dies yes a lot of death going on here yes after her husband's death caroline moved with her 16 year old daughter to christiansburg to be with her sisters at the school that they were running with their mom Mm -hmm. apparently some of the family members were not super keen on the idea of taking in Caroline and her daughter, but they also felt really bad for them because they had fallen on hard times. So out of sympathy, they ultimately did take them in and allow them to come and live at the school. But I have a question. Caroline didn't get married till she was like 35. Correct. And she had taught at the school for a long time. Not at that school. She had been a teacher. Oh. Elsewhere. Oh. And lost her job due oh. to unstable, unpredictable mood swings. Oh. I think I had teachers who suffered from the same condition. <laughs> <laughs> it's called life. Okay. You know so she she did not teach at her aunt's school with her no. siblings. No. Okay. They didn't want her and they didn't want her back. To be honest, no, they didn't want her because it's sad to be honest. I mean, I don't know these people, but I imagine it must be isolating feeling unwanted by your family members. But it kind of seemed like bad luck traveled with Caroline. She would show up at a place and wreak havoc and her sisters would lose their jobs and things would (laughs) just fall apart. That doesn't sound like bad luck. That sounds like... A demented personality. Well, you be the ju- you can be the judge. <laughs> okay. You tell right. us. I think this is going to be a two-parter. I probably should have said that at the beginning. Oh, also, hi. Welcome back to episode 59. I think I forgot to say that at the beginning, too. Let's just do the intro now in the middle of the episode. Welcome okay. down, back to episode 59. This is a two-parter. Ooh. So next week mom you can be the judge did she have bad luck or a demented personality 
Uh, I think sometimes people bring bad luck on themselves. But let's continue the story. I don't want to be jumped to... Oh, you to, don't? Okay. I, no, don't want to jump to okay. conclusions without more facts. No, I'm listen. leaning. I'm leaning towards demented personality. Okay. 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 If the arrival of Mary to the women's school in Virginia went relatively unnoticed and smooth, the same absolutely could not be said of Caroline's arrival with her daughter in 1901. She wasted absolutely no time making changes at the school and in her sisters, which, well, we'll get into it. She took over as administrator and she made sudden changes to the curriculum. She got rid of a lot of those advanced classes that her sister had introduced. She moved students to different classrooms for no reason. She created an environment of rumors and suspicions after installing up to three padlocks randomly on some of the doors at the school. (laughs) Why did they make her the administrator? Couldn't they have made her like the they gym went from, teacher? They went from this woman has ruined our lives <laughs> multiple times. We don't even want her to live here. And now we're going to make her the administrator. Very in a, weird. In the, a snap. It I seems think... like she was very, very convincing and good at getting what she wanted. It also makes me think they were a little afraid of her. Possibly. Like she had some iron will and just bent everybody to her way of wanting to do things. It does seem that way. We're going to have other examples of that. This certainly isn't the only situation that we're going to discuss where she just bent everyone to what she wanted and got her way with not great consequences. Mm Mm-hmm. Also around the time that Caroline joined her sisters at the school, the sisters all started wearing solid black clothes at all times, including long capes that draped to the floor and heavy veils, which hid their faces at all times. Now, if you thought maybe this was normal for 1901, (laughs) you're not correct. This is apparently not the way that people dressed. And based on this new way of dressing... And some of the new habits the sisters picked up that we're going to get into, they were given the moniker, the Black Sisters. One of them is a widow. One of them never married. And the third one, she's Also a widow. Oh, they're acting like Queen Victoria. It sounds like they Mm. modeled themselves after her Mm -hmm. with this, you know, she wore black the rest of her life. for the rest of their lives. Yes, yes. Yeah. I don't think she wore a veil over her face. They kind of took it to the next level. Well, she just wasn't as cool. And they also started acting really weird. At first, they were seen chanting at the graves of their younger brother and his wife. One story said that the sisters dressed in black and heavily veiled would call for a carriage always at night and drive to the cemetery where their brother had been buried. But it didn't stop there. Neighbors reported seeing them wandering the campus at night by candlelight. They took to whispering in the hallways and apparently carrying on rituals at night at students' bedsides. One of these crazy women was the administrator. Were the other two still teaching or what were they doing? Yes. With veils over their faces. (laughs) Yes. 
spooky. And they developed a habit of appearing out of nowhere at all hours in the middle of rooms, in the corner of hallways, (laughs) and just scaring the shit out of people. (laughs) And it was apparently said that Caroline had encouraged her sister's interests in the occult when she joined them at the school. I think the occult was kind of a big thing then, communicating with the dead and all that stuff. Mm. So people weren't taking their kids out of the school by Oh, they were. Yes, they were. They were. (laughs) And pretty quickly, the school, which had been very popular and thought of highly with good educators and interesting programs sort of started to fall out of favor and families were pulling their kids out of the school left and right. And another thing that happened around this same time was that in 1904, the Montgomery Male Academy actually closed and male students were also sent to attend the female academy, which Mm. then changed its name again to Montgomery Hall. And once males were also attending the school for some reason, vandals heavily damaged the school during this time and in the years following. And so it was falling out of favor people were pulling their kids out and it was falling into disrepair and all being kind vandalized. of at the same time these people are going to start running out of money they've destroyed their only business don't worry <laughs> they have caroline what were you thinking our school administrator she's got it sometime okay. around 1906 Caroline decided that now remember the school is basically failing at this point but for some reason Caroline decides that her nephew John Mary's oldest son needed to come and teach at the school she got on a train and she went to Linville Tennessee where John and his brother Fletcher were innocently living with their wives right and still running their successful sawmill and she set about convincing John that he should just abandon his whole entire life and return to Virginia with her and he went along with this well during her first trip to his home he absolutely could not be convinced his wife was upset she begged him not to go and she actually was able to convince him that they needed to get his aunt to leave and they even went as far as to have her removed by the police but within the following two three weeks she returned And despite protests from his wife, John eventually agreed to go with his aunt and they set out for Virginia. So this is what I mean. She obviously could just be very convincing somehow. Mind control. Now, John's spirits very quickly declined and he supposedly made several suicide attempts after being forced from his wife, his home, and his business. Why didn't he just go back home? Just a thought? I don't know. The fix is in. (sighs) Starting as early as the train ride away from his home, John allegedly jumped from the train near Roanoke, Virginia. His family insisted it was an accident. Many suspected that he had been pushed, but the brake man from the train felt sure that he had witnessed a suicide attempt. Attempt, so he didn't kill himself, or he wasn't killed. He was not killed. 
A few weeks later, once he arrived at the school, John almost drowned in an open cistern, but was pulled from the water just in time after his aunt Virginia raised the alarm while her nephew was apparently working to provide a water supply for the school and lost his balance. Yeah, my butt. Finally, another week later... John's Aunt Virginia again raised the alarm at eight in the morning when he was found screaming and thrashing in his room at the school, completely ablaze in flames. What? Mm -hmm. He's in his bedroom and he's screaming and they run in there and he's like spontaneously combusted. I know it's been a long time since 1906, but you're forgetting that they used oil lamps. And so allegedly his sheets and blankets were soaked in kerosene from a spilled oil lamp, which had been on his bedside table. And that was what caused his person and his bed and his pajamas to burst into flames. And he just climbed into bed, ignoring the smell, not buying it. Sorry. Unfortunately, three hours after this final accident, he died from first degree burns. Let's see, what had happened? He fell off a train, he fell into a cistern, Mm -hmm. and then he burned up. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Third time's the charm, they say. Mm. Did he have a large life insurance policy? Well, (laughs) his mother and her sisters insisted that it was an accident and not a suicide and said that John would never kill himself. Yeah, especially by lighting himself on fire. Oh, my God. But the townspeople suspected foul play, and it turned out that the sisters had taken out an insurance policy against the young man's life, which Mm -hmm. listed his aunt Virginia as the beneficiary. Surprise. (laughs) And after... No, actually, I am surprised because I would have thought it would have been Caroline. Maybe that was too obvious. True. And after an investigation into the accident, because the insurance company suspected foul play, they reached an agreement with the sisters awarding Virginia $12,000, which is just over $400,000 in 2023 money for the young man's death. It's so surprising to me that insurance companies would be giving out that kind of money. Apparently, I can't remember. I wish I could remember because I hate to say something that I heard in another podcast without giving that podcast the credit. But I don't remember the details anyway, so it's all just going to be a blah, 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 blah. (laughs) But I heard in another podcast at some point in time that insurance really used to be almost a free for all. You could take a policy out on anyone. It didn't have to be a family member. It didn't have to be even (laughs) anyone you knew. And the policies were for these exorbitant sums. And after insurance companies really realized that that was not sustainable or sensible, they changed sort of the whole setup of What would prevent somebody from taking out a million dollar policy on a complete stranger and then running them over with their literally literally nothing (laughs) okay the honor system (laughs) wow yeah we didn't live in the best of times for (sighs) we didn't making quick cash and also this part was really sad to me i thought during all of this time john's wife anna had been writing letters desperate to get in touch with her husband but she never heard back and her health eventually declined and she was moved into a sanitarium. 
places. Well, I'm sure they didn't let him see the letters. I'm sure they did not. But now his other brother is still out there. It's funny. You should ask about young Fletcher. (laughs) Oh, God. Now. I don't want to know. (laughs) At the same time, you know, there were kind of a lot of things going on at the same time. The school is in decline. John is unfortunately perishing horrible attempted deaths many times. And toward the end of John's life, Aunt Caroline set her sights on his younger brother, Fletcher. Oh, God. She went to visit him and she claimed that she wanted to speak to him about some family property in Louisville and told his wife, they had a six-year-old, by the way, Fletcher and his wife, that he would be home relatively quickly following the visit to discuss this family property. Instead, his wife, Vashti, later learned that he had fallen ill near Chattanooga, Tennessee. Oh, Lord, he didn't even get out of the state. No, he didn't. So, like a normal person, I feel like there aren't very many of those in this story, she went there to try to see her sick husband. But when she arrived in Chattanooga, his aunt said that he was too ill to have a visitor, and she turned this woman away. Wow. And promised that he would be better and he would be home in a week or so. After the week promised, when her husband still wasn't home, Vashti made a second trip to Chattanooga only to find that her husband was gone. Gone? Not gone. dead, but gone. Not dead, but gone. She asked around the town. He he had been staying in a boarding house with his aunt. She asked Oh, he there. wasn't in a hospital. Well, He's she in... didn't know where he was because the uh. aunt wouldn't let her see him. But she went to the boarding house where at least she knew the aunt had been staying. And she was told by the staff there that her husband had been moved from that boarding house to another by a woman using the name Mrs. Martin. They say she was dressed all in black and had a veil over her face. Maybe when she traveled, she tried to look more normal. No, apparently these bitches wore this all the time. Do you remember whose last name was Martin, though? Whose last name was Martin? Yeah. Uh, Caroline's dead husband. (laughs) Mrs. Martin. Mrs. Martin. Caroline Martin. Okay. Feeling kind of out of options, unfortunately, and with a six-year-old to take care of, Vashti left and went home. And after a time, she sought a divorce from her husband, which was granted, and they never saw each other again. Wow. With Vashti out of the way, Caroline took Fletcher to Virginia, where he married his first cousin, Oshi. In a secret ceremony in 1906. If you're wondering why the ceremony needed to be secret, it's because much like wearing black cloaks to the floor that covered your face, marrying your cousin was not particularly normal and was in fact already illegal in many states in 1906. Your first cousin. Yeah, yes, your, your first, first cousin. cousin. I wonder if they all wore black too during the ceremony. They probably did wear black because apparently some of the members of the family did not approve of this marriage. Which members? I don't know. It didn't say. I, it just said that. <laughs> That's all that it said. Well, we have the three older Which sisters. was the second reason given as to why it took place in secret. A, because it was <laughs> illegal. And 
B, because some of okay. the family, or maybe A, some of the family members didn't approve. B, the world didn't approve. <laughs> we have the three crazy sisters who wear black. We have one of their brothers who's already dead. We have the other brother. Where is he at this point? He was a reverend. Where he's being a reverend, I don't know. Okay. And then there was a younger sister, Bessie or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she was the principal at the school for at least a little while, but it's unclear if she was still the principal at the school during this time. Okay, but she's not wearing all black. No, she's normal. As much as one can be. All right. (laughs) The few family members that aren't dressed in black and wearing veils are disapproving of this event. That could be. That could be. Good (laughs) point. Yeah. It could have been the non-black cloaked family members. And apparently the few members of the community who did learn of this relationship thought it was really strange because the first cousin thing, but also because Fletcher and Oshi did not seem particularly affectionate with each other. They just generally didn't seem interested in each other almost at all. I don't know if that was a real deterrent to marriage back in those days. Because I mean, people weren't climbing all over each other, making out, you acted rather maybe aloof in public. Yeah. But maybe people could pick up on the fact that they really were not interested. While all of this is going on, the weirdness with essentially kidnapping these grown men and bringing them to Virginia for some reason, marrying a daughter to her cousin, basically destroying the school from the inside out the sisters, of course, acting weird and deciding to dress all in black for the rest of all eternity. The sisters also attempted several fraudulent business deals in Christiansburg and the surrounding areas, which on top of everything else really helped to diminish any small amount of trust that residents still had in the three sisters, which drove the school even closer to the brink of failure. It's kind of interesting why they didn't just take out life insurance and kill this guy, too. Maybe they thought going to the well once too often might. Maybe. But why marry him? Why go get him and why marry him to his cousin? I literally don't know. The only thing that immediately comes to mind, and it's probably just so outlandish, I don't know, but maybe not considering this story. Maybe they wanted to make... Have you heard of baby farms? What? So I don't remember the details because it's been a while since I learned about all of it, but sort of in this same time in history, a baby farm was basically a place where if you're rich aristocrat daughter who was 17 got knocked up by some street urchin you would send (laughs) the baby to this woman who was supposed to care for the baby and you could feel good about yourself because the baby was gonna have a good home and the woman could make a little bit of money caring for this baby and so there were a lot of these baby farms But eventually what started happening is that some of the women, I'm sure it wasn't all of them because there couldn't possibly be this many monsters in the world, but some of the women running these baby farms realized that they could kind of double dip because they could get paid to take care of the baby, but they could also tell an insurance company that the baby had died and collect insurance on the baby. Did they kill the babies? Yes. Oh. 
But then sometimes, even to make it more interesting, what would happen is that the rich people would think better of it and they would come back for their baby. And then these women had to be like, oh, and give them a baby that wasn't even theirs and just hope that nobody noticed. So you're thinking that maybe they were going to have Oshi have babies and and then just one after another kill them off and get paid by the insurance company who was too stupid to connect the dots and say wow this is the 12th baby i can't think of any other reason that they separated this happy young couple and ruined this man's life to force him into a marriage with his cousin well there must have been some financial there must have been some gain from it all that they were imagining whether or not it came to fruition yeah they obviously had some weird plan all of these weird things combined and as the school continued to decline by 1908 all three of the sisters as well as oshi and fletcher left virginia and scattered into the wind some of them went to new york some of them went to new jersey they just literally abandoned ship And the school closed. And Hmm. as we already talked about, eventually it was just bulldozed and it's a middle school now. That was the end of the school, but not the end of the family. Yeah, we have a lot more. (laughs) I was about to say, I'm thinking there's got to be more to this story. We're not just going to end with no. Oh, she. That was it. (laughs) The end. They all scattered like dust in the wind i wonder why they scattered i mean they seemed strangely connected well oshi and her husband attempted to scatter the other three basically all went to new york Hmm. and oshi and her husband settled in new jersey but it was it was basically i mean you know new jersey and new york are almost the same in some areas they're very interwoven So it seemed like this area, I think it was called East Orange, but don't quote me. Maybe it was West or North or South Orange, but it seemed to be very close to the city. You're probably going to get a lot of calls from people from New Jersey who will take exception to you claiming that there's no difference, that New Jersey's just a a bedroom community of New York. I didn't say that. (laughs) There's a difference. Like in New Jersey, you can't pump your own gas. (laughs) And in New York, they have pizza (laughs) and bagels. I would be willing to bet in 1906 or wherever, what year we are now, nobody was pumping their own gas. No, because they were in their ambuli on horseback. (laughs) This is where we leave the family. This is where we're going to leave it for now. We have newlywed, for some reason, (laughs) couple in New Jersey and the Black sisters in New York. And a lot more is going to happen. There's a lot to discuss. Life insurance policies and... Jeez, is there I don't even know. I don't even know any teasers for this. This shit is weird. Is their mom still alive? She is. Oh my God. Yeah. I can't wait for next week. I'm it's horrified. A, it's an interesting, yeah. I mean, it's sad. There are really a lot of creepy murders that go on in the world. Really? The world is, I don't know. I don't know sad what to say. And creepy. Nothing to add? No, I'm totally baffled. Flummoxed. <laughs> I'm flummoxed. We should look up words that they used in 1908 and only <laughs> use those next time. <laughs> 
I think flummoxed. Flummoxed <laughs> seems like a good one to me. I think so too. All right. Fluxum and juxum. <laughs> I bid ta- you adieu. Ta-ta that- for now. I don't know. Ta-ta <laughs> for now doesn't seem very authentic. <laughs> I'll have to find out how they said goodbye in 1908. Oh, here's one. It's from a suicide note. Death will be a blessed relief. Is that a good goodbye? Oh, I thought that they signed it. Ta-ta for now, Fred. (laughs) You know what we haven't said in a long time? If you're enjoying this podcast, like obviously we are, you should go and give us five stars wherever you listen because we need your words of encouragement. And if you want to chat, if you want to tell us how to pronounce Oshi, you can email us murderer you know at gmail.com and you can always check us out on social media probably actually gonna have pictures for this episode since it's so old tiny and we don't need to worry about invading anyone's (laughs) privacy which is very important to us sorry you can check those out we are murderer you know podcast on facebook and instagram okay now bye 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 oh bye